My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. You never know what you're going to find on Netflix. Uh, this last week, I watched a documentary on Tim Bergling. I don't know if you know anything about his life. He was a Swedish uh, DJ, uh, pioneer in EDM, electronic dance music, otherwise known as Avicii. And he had a lot of big hits, uh, Levels, Wake Me Up, and our family really enjoyed it. He uh, collaborated with a lot of people, and so his influence was just across the spectrum. And uh, the documentary goes on to talk about his life. He, it starts when he's just a teenager, how he gets into beats, how he gets into you know, promoting and concerts, and he just loves music. And along the journey, you see that he really rises to fame, and he achieves a level of fame that none of us will ever achieve. But along with the fame comes this relentless drive to tour. And over the course of his years, he toured and he did over 800 concerts. And these are massive concerts with uh, tens, 20, 100,000 people at these uh, concerts. And yet that was killing him. And in fact, at, at several parts in the documentary, it explains. And he says, he goes, if I keep touring, I'm going to die. Well, as you go on and you look at this, you discover that he gets caught up in alcohol, he gets caught up in that addiction, it destroys his body, and he just wants out. Every, he keeps crying to stop, and the promoter and all the people are just this machine, it just keeps going, there's money in it, there's fame in it, he's got anxiety, and he ends up taking his life, and it is tragic to discover such talent and such amazing ability uh, did not satisfy he got to the end of his rope, and nobody listened to his cry for help. Now, his parents and family wrote this uh, for his memorial service. It said, our beloved Tim was a seeker, a fragile artistic soul searching for answers to existential questions, an overachieving perfectionist who traveled and worked hard at a pace that led to extreme stress. When he stopped touring, he wanted to find a balance in life to be able to be happy and to do what he loved most, music. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life, and happiness. Notice that they capitalized those. That's important. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life, and happiness. He could not go on any longer. He wanted to find peace. And as you think about this, you think, how could a person achieve everything, especially at such a young age? He was 28 when he died. Just not even a year ago, he took his life. How could a person, well, in Jesus' words, gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Or in Solomon's words that we saw last week, end up living life under the sun, as if this temporal existence is all there is. Or as we're going to see just in a bit, uh, a life that when all is said and done is like meaningless, like a vapor, just like 
trying to grab onto the smoke or like chasing the wind. How could we do this? Well, we do it because we live in a culture that really creates this desire inside of us to consume. And we want more and we want more. And what we end up consuming ends up consuming us. And this consumeristic culture, if we're not careful, will eat us alive. And we think we come out on top when actually we come out on bottom. And what we discover in Ecclesiastes is a guy named Solomon who 3,000 years ago writes a letter, a letter that warns you and me about this pursuit for pleasure and wealth and security. This guy had it all and he achieved it all, but when all was said and done, it was emptiness. He was the first one to live what we would call a post-Christian life. He's like, okay, I did the God thing. I had all the wisdom. I, I built the temple. I worshiped God, but then I pursued other things because somehow God didn't satisfy in the depths of my heart, and so my heart wanted more. My head wanted more. My hands wanted more, and I pursued all of those things. But I came up short. And so Solomon writes Ecclesiastes as if he's writing from the heart of a skeptic, someone who's seeking answers and finds them for you and for me, and he reveals them, but he's a skeptic. And he writes and he says, I pursued it all. And when all was said and done, it was emptiness. And it is a very discouraging book. It is a very depressing book. Most times people don't read it as Christians. They just skip over to the happy stuff, you know. Um, and, and, and yet most people don't preach about it. But it is a deep message for you and for me because I think it's a book that speaks to us today in our culture. It speaks to us in this moment so that we as followers of Jesus Christ could ask some deep questions about ourselves first. Are we truly seeking God first? Or are we doing what everybody else is doing? As a youth pastor about 30 years ago, with horror, I discovered that all of the polls, all of the reports indicate that followers of Jesus Christ do not look any different than non-followers of Jesus Christ. We pursue the same things. We do the same things. We love the same things. We rush after the same things. We spend our lives the same way. And yet something's wrong with that. The reason the world looks at Christianity, the reason the world looks at church the reason the world looks at Christ is that people have tried it and it didn't work or they think they tried it or they tried it but only tried a little bit and we're called hypocrites to the world because we don't look any different than the world. We do the same exact things. Our morals, our values, our ethics. I know the Bible says these things, but we don't live up to those. And then we go out there and people go, oh, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and you do all the same things and I do, what would be the point of me becoming a Christian? You're just a hypocrite. And so people have walked away from the church, walked away from Christianity, walked away from Christ because we have done a very poor job of living the message of the gospel out, the good news of Jesus Christ that changes us, not just today, but for all eternity. And that hope should radically change us. We should be the ones who, Jesus said, are the light of the world, that we shine so brightly for Christ that people look at us and go, they've got hope, they've got peace. We are the ones that Jesus said should be the salt of the earth, that by the actions and our environment and, and all the relationships we have, people should see us and go, you add, there's flavor, there's excitement, there's something going on. You're penetrating. You're actually creating this culture that's changing people. We want to join you. But Jesus said you could easily hide your light. You could easily so dissolve your salt into nothingness that both are, are ridiculous to think. Who would ever do that? But we do that. And in our culture, we as followers of Christ, we've run after other gods, the gods of power, the gods of pleasure, the gods of success. And we just add Jesus onto our lives and wonder why we are crashing and burning. And so Solomon says, if you really want to have a hope, 
you got to dig deep first and you got to go through the depression. You got to go through the darkness because I did it all. But I will save you some time if you read my story and you can end up on the good side of it. So with that in mind, I want to just kind of jump into this story of Solomon's word in Ecclesiastes. If you missed it, two weeks ago we did a big precursor, an introduction to Solomon, how he gave up God to pursue pleasure and wealth and security. And then last week we started with the first 11 verses. Today we do a lot. We are covering verses uh, 12 in chapter 1 to the end of the chapter and all of chapter 2. So there's a lot of text that's going to be on the screen. If you're fast enough, you can open your Bible and follow. But it's all about Solomon's many paths, many roads, that he went down, the avenues he explored to find value and purpose in life. And so strap on, buckle up, put your five-point harness on because we're going to go fast, all right? And if you brought any Prozac, you might need it because this is really depressing. Okay, let's jump into the text. I, the teacher, we saw last week some translations say preacher, but the fact is he's like a philosophy professor gathering his students saying, hey, come and listen. I want to dialogue with you. I want to ask questions. I want you to explore this because I've already gone that route and I want to talk to you. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. So he says, the first road I went down, the first pursuit was all about wisdom. We could say it was his head. He said, I I applied what I knew in my head. God had given me wisdom. That was the gift he gave me. So I ran for wisdom. He says, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun. Now, that's that phrase we saw last week. He'll use it over and over and over again. Under the sun. It's as if this world is the only world. There's nothing more than the physical, the temporal. That what we have, what we can touch, what we can see, what we can taste, what we can enjoy, there's nothing more than that. As opposed to under heaven, which is there's an eternal life. There's something more valuable than work, than, you know, the achievements and all the awards and accolades we get. He says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless. He said that last week in the first verse five times. Vanity of vanities, emptiness of emptiness, meaning of meaningless. But what he's saying with that, and we saw it, is that he's saying that life is so temporary, that it, it just, it's like a puff of smoke that comes up and you try to grab onto it and it's gone. It's like the mist that rises up in the morning. It's just like the little bit of snow that falls and it's just gone immediately, right? That, he says, I looked at all this pursuit of chasing everything under the sun and it's all meaningless. There's no value in and of itself for that. There's got to be something more. He said, it's like chasing the wind. That's a great metaphor right there. Imagine chasing the wind, running after the wind. I mean, it's kind of a kid would do that, right? As they're running in the field, maybe they got a kite. Maybe the, you know, the, the wind is blowing the wheat and it's a beautiful picturesque scene and you're thinking, it's great, I'm chasing the wind. But do you really think you can grab onto the wind? Can you hold on to the wind? Is it going to do anything important in your life? No, you just, it's gone. As soon as you try to grab it, it's gone. That's the very nature of the wind. You can't clutch at it and grasp it. He says, what is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. There was an inscription on the grave of a famous uh, British author. In his whole life, he wanted to achieve fame by his writing. But by the time he was said and done, and he had achieved it, he had this put as the epitaph on his gravestone, on his marker. He said, I only plowed water. Now think about that. First of all, that's a British person right there. It's like super deep, right? 
So I only plowed water. I only plowed water. All that I wanted to build, all that I wanted to achieve, truly my life was like dropping my plow in water. And as soon as it pulled, as soon as it pulled out, there was no evidence of that. That's what Solomon is saying. I did everything and I was just plowing water. I was just chasing the wind, trying to grab it. So I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. And that was God-given wisdom. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like, here it is again, chasing the wind. He uses this nine times just in the first half of the book. It's just chasing the wind. Would you be bold enough this week to take an assessment of your life and evaluate How much of what I'm pursuing is really just like chasing the wind? Maybe it's work and it's relentless. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, a relationship and it's ruthless. Maybe it's some kind of status and that's never ending, my friends. Would you be able to sit down and go, you know what? I've taken stock of my life. That thing is like chasing the wind. It's really meaningless. It's really worthless. He says, the greater my wisdom the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. If you're in school, uh, you might want to write that down and turn that in for your next essay (laughs) to your teacher. I learned something. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. That's all she wrote, or he wrote. We're done, right? By by the end of the book, by the way, of, of Ecclesiastes, he says, of making the many you know, writings or of many books is foolishness. It's never ending, right? He says, we think we know so much, but it's it's so empty when you pursue the path of wisdom. So he says, okay, so wisdom didn't satisfy me. I ran down the road of wisdom. I'm going to pursue the path of pleasure. And so he goes down that path. He says, I'm just going to enjoy whatever. In fact, this is really good. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that that too, this too was meaningless, empty. It's like a vapor. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. Beautiful pictures here. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. He goes on to describe that. Here's more of what what pleasure is all about. Let's go to the next slide there. So I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. So, okay, um, my head, which is my wisdom, that didn't satisfy. I went down that road. My heart, which is all these pleasures, I Denied myself nothing. That didn't satisfy. Well, I've, what do I got left? I got my hands. Let me, let me go build something. Let me go make a name for myself. Let me go do something with my hands. Let me fulfill the joy of work. So look what he says. I, I tried to find it by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. He goes on, he says, I collected great sums of silver and gold. If we remember the first week, we saw billions of dollars, unbelievable amount of money. The treasury of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. Remember the first week, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
which I don't know if you have 700 wives, why you need 300 concubines, but that's, he's pursuing pleasure, right? He's pursuing work. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a name. I, here it is. I had everything a man could desire. I mean, whatever was on your list, I had a bigger list, and I got it all done. I got everything. In the documentary on Avicii, there's a moment where he's walking down a hallway going before he goes on stage, and he's, he's not happy. He's not happy at all. He's terribly depressed, and he says these words. It's stunning. He says, I have everything on the checklist, but I'm not happy. Can you imagine getting everything on your checklist? your bucket list, whatever your list is. Can you imagine achieving everything that your heart desired and looking at it and it's going, worthless, meaningless, because we run after those things. The Bible calls those idols. Anything we put in our heart is most important. That's our God. And if it's not the true God, then it's an idol. And God says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me because they're all false. And yet that's what our world does. That's what our all of our collective wisdom and everything is about these are the important things in life. Status, and we run after status. That's on some of your lists, status. Achievement, that's on some of your lists, right? Possessions, that's on some list. A bigger house, a, a, a this, a that. Vacations, retirement, whatever it is. I want all those things, right? He says, I had everything on the list and it didn't satisfy. Exactly like Tim Bergling said. I, it, I thought that was supposed to be it, but it wasn't it. He goes on to say this. So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labor. So whatever my head pursued, I ran after that. Whatever my heart pursued, I ran after that. Whatever my hands pursued, I ran after that. But he says, but as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. And again, that, that vanity, that emptiness, that smoke that rises up, that vapor, and what's so important is just gone, just like that, like a breath. It's all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. Man, I pray you'd have the courage, as I've been kind of just relentless inventory, ruthless inventory, of what am I really pursuing in life? Is it like chasing the wind? If it is, man, give it up. There was nothing really worthwhile anymore. Now, if you think that's bad, we're not done. If you're discouraged, just wait. Depression follows. All right. We're not even there yet. And he goes into the rest of chapter two. Solomon pursued pleasure like everybody does today. He jumped into wine, women, and work, whatever it was. And it seemed worthwhile but it was actually emptiness. In the 1980s, uh, the flamboyant millionaire, uh, Malcolm Forbes, Forbes magazine, uh, he was known for his extravagant lifestyle, parties, travel, collection of homes, yachts, art, aircraft art. He summed it all up with these words. This is a 1980s phrase, if you're old enough to remember this. I remember this. He who dies with the most toys wins. That was Forbes. He who dies with the most toys wins. The only problem is Forbes died. Solomon says, no, 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 he who dies with the most toys still dies. Still dies. A life based on pleasure doesn't have any room for pain. Doesn't have any room for struggle. Doesn't have any room for losing a loved one, for the breakup of a marriage, for the default on a loan. Doesn't have any room for true pain. 
And if all you're trying to do is pursue pleasure, you're distancing yourself from the people all around you that are hurting. So he goes on, and this is what he jumps into. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I'll end up in the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. And then finally, this is the conclusion of this part of it. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. This is, this is it. So I came to hate life. Can you imagine having everything on the checklist and hating life? Because if everything done here under the sun is so troubling, everything is meaningless. Again, everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And stick with me because we're still not down to the bottom of the hole yet. (laughs) He says this, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? That they will control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. Some of you are older and you're retired and you have achieved a lot. You've accumulated a lot. And, you know, you're worried about this, right? What's going to go on and what's going to happen and leaving an inheritance. You know, I've talked to a lot of folks that get to this age. And here's my encouragement to you. Would you not give your children an inheritance? But would you spend it now with them? Because I think it'd be so much better for them to have memories than money right? Because people are going to fight over money. Grandmas and grandpas, why don't you take your grandkids on trips? And, and you know, just, just enjoy it because they'll remember that. Because I have been there and you'd be shocked to know how many people who love each other end up hating each other because they fight over the trivial, foolish things. The things that shouldn't divide but do. All of a sudden, people grab onto what really was never theirs, and they clutch at it as if there's meaning. You could prevent a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt by just saying, I'm going to direct where it goes right now. That's a little sermon, by the way, for you that are older. And some of you younger people are going, yes, thank you. I need a down payment on my house. No. Um, Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Today we would send somebody to a shrink, right? A psychiatrist. He got problems. No, he's just a realist. He he truly is looking at everything. And he wraps this section of text up to the end of chapter 2 with these words. So, and this is important, I decided, this is kind of like the end of, you know, this first stage, I decided that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Seems like a contradiction to what he just said, right? Not, not until you put the next line into place because I realize these are pleasures that are from the hand of God. What he's saying is whatever you have, it's from God. If you can learn to be grateful for what you have, that'll change everything. It will give you joy. But if you're clutching after the next, the greatest, the latest, the best, the shiniest, the newest, the fastest, whatever it is, it'll never satisfy. You may not have much. You may have walked in with nothing but a backpack. You may have a lot. Achieving more isn't going to give you more. Jesus said, "Um, all the pile of stuff, that's not your life. I memorized in the King James as a kid. 
Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not your life. Whatever you have, great, fine, enjoy it. It comes from God. Uh, have, have an exercise when you sit down and today and you make nachos, really the really unhealthy kind, and you watch the Super Bowl and watch the Rams crush Tom Brady. And, <laughs> and when you... That's right, seriously. No, I have no idea. I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm a Raider fan. I don't even have a dog. Um, and so when you do that, stop and think, what am I thankful for? It's a good exercise around your home, around dinner time. What am I grateful for? Be happy for what God has given you because science proves this. Science absolutely proves this. Research has been done on this. If you're grateful for what you have, your attitude in all of life changes. But if you just want more, man, you're miserable because you'll never have enough. And you will be not just miserable, but you will end up a miser holding on to so much and not satisfied with it not even enjoying it. So Solomon says, hey, just enjoy what God's given you. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. See, the bottom line here for you and for me is that we have to decide what we really want in life. There's a movie, it's, it's a quite old movie, I mean, it's, it's almost 100 years old, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, phenomenal movie. I don't know if you've seen it, I would encourage you to watch it. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix or Amazon Prime, it's right there, you can rent it from the library for free, it's a great movie. It doesn't have robots that explode within 30 seconds, or at all, to be honest with you. There are no alien invaders, you know, it, it, but it's a phenomenal story. It's the story of stories. It's of a guy that went out to achieve everything, and when all was said and done, it was meaningless. It, it's a 3,000-year-old story. It's a film about Solomon. I know it's a film about Hearst, William Randolph Hearst, but it's really a film about the pursuit of life. And in this film, Orson Welles does such a phenomenal job with photography, and so early on in all the camera angles and the way he framed things, subjects in there. And it's, it's a beautiful study just on the great art form of film. It's always on the number, it's number one of all the lists of all time. I'd encourage you to watch it. But watch this. As you watch the film Citizen Kane, notice the fireplace, because the fireplace is a metaphor. It's a symbol. The beginning of the film, as he gets his home, as he starts to achieve things, the fireplace is small. It's burning over here. As the film progresses and Cain wants more and more and more, the fireplace looms larger in this scene. By the end of the film, when he's pursued and achieved everything, the fireplace takes over the frame. And that's his life. It's a raging inferno that constantly burns but never lasts. And all he ever wanted were the simple pleasures when he was a child. And on his deathbed, he speaks the name of his sled, the only thing that mattered to him in all of life. And at the end of the film, after he dies, the last scene is this large warehouse full of just so much of an accumulation of a lifetime. And there's a fire raging, and people are grabbing, and workers are throwing it in the fire. And the last thing you see is his sled go into the fire. All he ever wanted was the simple things, but he got lost on the journey. And he thought more would be enough, and it never is enough. And that's for you, and that's for me, my friends. When you think that the next thing is going to be great, the next thing is going to satisfy, Solomon says, you know what? You can have all of that 
and you'll be so empty because it's an empty pursuit because anything you enjoy apart from him is meaningless. The only way to true, find true joy and true fulfillment is to receive from the hand of God what is temporal but what is given by the one who's eternal and live your life with an eternal perspective. I don't know if you've ever heard of the 27 Club. 27 Club is noted to have so far 73 participants. And the 27 Club is a list of people who were artists, musicians, famous beyond famous, who at age 27 died, some by their own hands. And, and just a couple, uh, Brian Jones, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Rolling, Rolling Stones, You've got um, Jimi Hendrix, phenomenal guitar player, singer, Janis Joplin. You've got Jim Morrison. You've got Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse. You've got Avicii. Now, Avicii just made it to 28. Tim just made it to 28, and he took his life. And you think, wow, if I had all the things, really, seriously? Kurt Cobain had all the things. Amy Winehouse had all the things, right? People in whatever generation, they reach out and they have all the things, and they give up on life, and we go, how could they do that? They, they achieved everything on their checklist. But they got it all, and they are telling us, and they're screaming at us from their deathbeds. It just doesn't satisfy. It's what Solomon said. If you live life under the sun, you're gonna die under the sun. And you're gonna die pursuing everything under the sun, and it's not gonna satisfy you. Or you can live life for a greater purpose. You can live life for pleasure and riches and security, or you can live life for something else. At the end of the documentary on Avicii, it's very sad. They don't include all of it, but phenomenal footage. The last thing after he retired from touring and gave it all up, he moved to a beach in Madagascar. And it's unbelievable. The water, the beach, the sand, the trees. He's in paradise. He's got all the money the world could ever have, right? He's got all the fame, he could go anywhere. He's known by his stage name, but he's not really known by anybody, including himself. And the last scene is a drone shot of him sitting there on a dock playing guitar, hoping that retirement is going to be it. And as the drone pulls away, the words come up that not long after that, he took his life. And what the documentary doesn't tell you is he drank his last bottle of wine and he broke the bottle on the rocks, and he cut himself, and he bled out and died. We go, how could somebody do that? Well, that's what we all do. Maybe not in such a graphic way. When we pursue this world as if this is the only world, pleasure, wealth, achievement, security, those are great things, but they're not worth giving your life for. You and I were created by God and for God. And until we get that, nothing else in life will make sense. Imagine, though. Imagine if you would have just, you know, been in Madagascar. I know you've got to imagine, okay. But imagine you were just walking along that beach and you encountered this, just this kid, this 20-year-old kid sitting there with a guitar and a bottle of wine. Would you have anything to say to him? Would you have any message of hope? Would you be able to talk about the hope that you have? Would you be able to talk about the faith that you have? Would your life exhibit something more than the pursuit that he had been on? Or would you look at him and go, well, you achieved everything and walk away? Because I think that there are people like that all around us every day. 
Now, it might not be as drastic, it might not be as extravagant, but all around us is a world clutching at the wind. And if we're doing the same thing, we have no message for them. But if we're clutching to Jesus, if we're holding on to Jesus, we do have something to say. Because all around us, people are looking. And if you've dared tell anybody that you're a follower of Jesus, then they're wondering. And if you have nothing to give them, then I don't know what your faith means. It might just be in your head, not truly in your life. But do you have a message for people? Because in our schools right now, in our schools, kids in fifth and sixth grade and even younger are trying to take their lives. What? Yes, absolutely. Talk to principals, talk to teachers, talk to counselors. In the Hillsborough School District, right where we live, children in elementary schools have decided life is not worth living. It doesn't just take a rocket scientist to figure this out. All around us, people are hoping that if they just get the next promotion, they just make the next sale, they just get to the next meeting and stand in front of people, they'll achieve it. Or if they buy the next home or have the next car or go on the next vacation or accumulate the retirement, everybody around us is dying to live. They're dying to live, my friends. And you and I have Jesus, which is all of the life we need. But if we're not thankful for what he's given us and grateful for that and living a life of just enjoying what he's given us at his hands, then we're clutching after the wind too. We're, we're just creating a checklist that will not satisfy us. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said to all who are exhausted and trying to find life apart from him, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And this is a metaphor that Jesus talks about. It's a picture of a yoke is a, a wooden uh, implement you would put on, on a, a, let's say, you know, an oxen or some cattle uh, to pull a wagon or a load or a plow, some heavy burden. And, and, and what he's saying is the religious people at that time and even today, they're putting all their hope onto something that doesn't satisfy, and they're just making burden upon burden. And you know what? All the riches, all the wealth, all the prosperity, all the security, all the achievement, it's just a heavy burden. Whatever you put in your, in your wagon and you're pulling it, Jesus says, why don't you just give it up? I will take that yoke off of you, that burden of what you're trying to achieve, and I will put on you something that is unbelievably light, and it's life and peace. It's with me. And, and I, I know some of us here as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a heavy burden. We're like, I, I want that easy yoke. It's like, you know what? Well, you have a heavy burden because you keep putting stuff in that wagon that is not going to satisfy. And that is heavy. And Jesus came to liberate you from that. And you need to get rid of it and go back to the easy burden of Jesus, the freedom of walking and your satisfaction found in Jesus Christ alone. Enjoying what he's given you and f- living that life out. And some of you are here and, and your life is a heavy burden. And I hope you've discovered that it's because we put on ourselves hopes and dreams and desires that are empty when all is said and done. But they will drive us into the ground. They might even drive us to death. And Solomon says, you don't have to go that way because I pursued all that and it was meaningless. It was just like chasing the wind. And if you live life under the sun, you'll die under the sun. 
but there is a greater life to come and there is a greater opportunity and for you and for me we could hear that this God who exists loves us and calls us to himself and still welcomes people home that beautiful picture in Luke 15 Jesus says of the son the prodigal son it could be the prodigal daughter it could be someone that takes off and runs away and pursues whatever when they come to their senses and I pray you do that they come home they're not going to get their father scolding them or shaming them or sour at them they're going to get their father running running to them to embrace them not to punish them not to pay them back but to win them back and to hold them back and to give them a robe and to give them a ring and to give them sandals and to give their name back and to invite them back into the home and to celebrate with a party that's our heavenly father he wants to do that for you and for me today but we've got to come to our senses and we've got to run to him and you can only find peace in jesus christ And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have taken on the same, same running road that Solomon did or everybody else did, man, you can just lay it all down. Lay your burdens down and come back to the simple, pure beauty of embracing Jesus because he loves you. He's crazy about you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for what what you have done in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would acknowledge our need for Jesus and Jesus alone. And the gospel message, the good news of of freedom in this world is found in you alone, not in our empty pursuits. Solomon's words are incredibly depressing. But they're only depressing if you leave God out of the equation. If we leave you out of the story, God, you are the story. And as your sons and daughters, you invite us into your story of life. I pray we would embrace that today. And we would walk as people in newness of life in a world that desperately needs to see light and to taste salt. We pray in the name of Jesus who uttered those words that that's who we are. May we be that this week. In your name we pray, amen.